Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. So glad you're along for another podcast. And I think you're going to be glad that you downloaded this one. Uh, We are in the season that is moving toward, really swiftly, toward Advent. Of course, you know, on a podcast, not sure when you're listening to this. And in many ways, it doesn't matter. This content is really interesting regardless, but it certainly fits in with this season and time of the year. Uh, I'm going to be talking today with Kathleen McInnes Kickline, and she has written Why These Women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, are the four women that she really focuses on. Actually, there's one more that she talks about in the book as well, but I'll I'll wait on that. Um, Four stories you need to read before you read the story of Jesus. And so that's where our focus lies today. But let me first introduce you to Kathleen before we get started. Um, Kathleen is currently retired from active pastoral ministry. She lives in the Seattle area. Beautiful. Love that. From uh, And she's retired from adjunct faculty at Seattle University. She continues active ministry and retreats and presentations both online and in person. And she's the author of several books today. We're talking about why these women. So Kathleen, first of all, let me welcome you to Faith Conversations. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. And is there anything else you would like to add to that bio? Sometimes, you know, what we read on the cover of a book is just a little snippet, or sometimes something new has happened since a book is published. And I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add. I probably should mention that uh, in our retiring, we shifted locations, and I am now in Northwest Arkansas. Oh, I think, you know what, I think I knew that. I I had forgotten that. Well, that's a big change, Seattle, Northwest Arkansas. big change. I think I'm still adjusting. (laughs) (laughs) Did you move nearer to family? We have a a son and his family in Seattle. We have a daughter and her family in Arkansas. Because so, usually those moves yes. tend to bring us closer to family in some way, you know. Yeah. So both on a huge piece of my heart. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, talk to me about your writing and ministry. And I want to say on the front end that actually somehow you and I connected because uh of a mutual friend, or I'm sure you're closer to her. i she has been on my podcast, and that's Christine Walters Paintner. Um, you have been in ministry with her before. I love her, love her books and uh, love having her on the podcast. But that's, you have a connection with her too, don't you? Well, yes and no. It's more vicariously. I have, uh, I've been done a retreat for Abbey of the Arts uh, in partnership with Betsy Beckman, who works extremely closely with Christine. So it's right. really, um, I'm a friend of a friend. Hey, yeah. 
good enough for me. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Uh, but somehow you maybe I, I know you s- happened to listen to my podcast when I was talking with Christine. Exactly. So I knew there was a Christine connection there. I'm a groupie. Yeah. yeah, me too. Pretty much. Me too. Um, I get her, her newsletter, Abby of the arts and all that. Yeah. So I love that. Um, when did you, why did you decide to start writing number one? And I think you've largely written, uh, and maybe this is the heart of the teacher in you. You've largely written Bible studies and things to propel people deeper into scripture or into learning, Uh, about biblical characters, what got you started writing to begin with? Well, I was placed, uh, you know, in a parish parish placement. So uh, part of my job description was to serve the women of the parish. And actually, I very quickly developed uh, into a partnership with a Presbyterian church nearby and then a Lutheran church. And we had groupings with the women of all three parishes, which was so, so sweet. And I find I've always worked what I think at the, at the intersection of women's studies and scripture, uh, because it, I, I don't, do, I'm, I'm not interested in Bible studies that just say the three things that Jesus is telling us in this passage are, you know, it, it's really much more about breaking this open and really, really being drawn in by the stories and so on. So using the tools of biblical scholarship and, and the, just the, richness of the stories. You can preach that all day long. It's like, who wants to do a fill in the blank kind of Bible study, right? You want to, well, at least, I mean, I want to think, I want to be drawn in, as you said, to the story. That's what, I mean, that's what Jesus was an amazing storyteller. And we are so drawn in. And obviously the stories in scripture are fascinating. If we dig beneath the surface, which obviously a scholar as your, such as yourself takes us there. So, so why these women, why did you decide to write on these? Well, that's the title of the book, why these women, but yeah. Why did you decide to write that? I love that. It's a question and these specific women. Well, talk about good stories. They're, they're pretty juicy. Yeah, for (laughs) sure why I did it. I'd actually done a study on them before, you know, in a parish setting. Um, This was very much in response to the Christmas of COVID when we were just, how the heck are we going to have a Christmas? We can't even gather. We can't go to church. We can't gather with our family, you know, and in hindsight, I, I really am impressed at the way in which communities, churches, families, uh, kind of discerned what was at the heart of it for them. And they they made something meaningful happen. So I think that's to be applauded. But it, it was really, uh, I felt bereft. I, I, that's the ad retreat that I did for Abby the Arts was an advent retreat. I always do that with Bexie. And I was mourning that with everything else. And it just seemed like Jesus was saying, go back, go back to the story. The story always holds something. So I mean, literally, I opened the Bible. I opened up to the New Testament. I turned the page and there's the first one, Matthew. So I started and um, I was not unfamiliar with Matthew, but a lot of people, if you go read that dry as dust genealogy, you might be surprised, although it'll take a fine read to notice that there's four women in there. Four women whose stories I know are really good stories. But 
it was odd to have this idea that start at the beginning, there's more to this than it's the eye. Because the, the thing about Advent, I believe, is, is not just that we are waiting upon Christ's coming, but that Christ's coming waits upon our expectation. Mm. You know, there needs to be that manger, which is our heart, for Christ to come to. This is this is a mutual thing here. But it needs to be, we're not hearkening back to a past and reliving what happened, remembering it fondly. We are in a relationship where we are expecting Christ to come to us. And, and if ever we needed Christ to come in our need, it, it felt like that was the other day. So mm-hmm. here I am in a dry, like I say, in the middle of, of a dry as dust genealogy and going, okay, if you say there's something here, let's let's see. And there were those names, Mm -hmm. those four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And I thought what was so interesting is, you know, you started talking about the sacred questions Mm -hmm. and obviously why these women, that's, that's one. But one of the things that you look at right away and you talk to us about in the book is um, the difference between power and powerless. Um, and, and obviously, you know, at first blush, we can hear those words and, and start mentioning some things that come to mind. Um, but what specifically did you uh, talk about or did you mention that's, that goes along with power, uh, which none of these women, I'm, I'm looking again at their names, none of these women held power, which of course, we're, we're looking at a, at a whole other time. Mm-hmm. Um, thousands of, you know, uh, uh, the, these women are before the time of Christ. So obviously long ago. And so therefore in that scenario, and even in the time of Christ, women were not exactly in a power position. No, no. And it's important and I, in doing my studies to, to kind of set this down. First of all, you know, we were dealing with patriarchal time. It's not, it's not exclusive to the Bible. This is when these stories were written. This is how it was lived. Um, so I, I, part of that's educational. Part of it, I'm going to kind of give away the ending of the story, is that that ended up being the punchline, is it continued to have relevance, these same questions today, way more than I expected it to have. So I was writing it, but I was also presenting it on Zoom. So I was, as I was doing it, I was getting reactions from other people and the questions kept being um, deepening. And like I said, it was kind of like rubbing a stone uh, smooth with all the questions. And um, I'd used this idea before. I know that when you're dealing with this, to understand what's going on, because these women are going to use surprising and sometimes unsettling methods in, in their stories. They're all, all these stories have a sexual connotation. It's an R-rated thing. Yeah, and, I was looking for that. You had some really great way to talk about that. Uh, you know, and I hadn't thought about that until I read it. I mean, I, I mean, I know these stories, but I don't think I had put together that there was some kind of sexual dynamic in all of these. Oh, I know where I read it because the woman that I was silent about is you You do talk about and, and devote a chapter to Mary in the back of the book, which, you know, she's not listed on, on the cover, but, 
Um, I had just not thought about it in terms of that sexual dynamic being um, connecting them all. And, oh, and what is, what is it? I underlined it. Do you think I could find it now? Of course not. But, but that next line in the genealogy, you know what I'm going for. Well, to- it, it, it's rarely mentioned. And yet it sh- it's, should occur to us. It's pretty darn obvious that, you know, scholars tell us Matthew has them in there because they're Gentiles and the gospel is intended for, and he's setting us up, giving us a clue. Matthew has been so much more than that. Because what these, these stories are all stories about um, extramarital, unconventional sex. Okay, uh, there's always encounters, except for Rahab, who incidentally is the prostitute. But so this is what all these stories are there. And then two sentences later, he says, and Joseph's wife, um, they were betrothed before they came to live together. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So he is saying, his readers who are Jewish up for the most unconventional of ideas of all. And they live in a pagan world where they, that's not a big deal if you're a pagan because, you know, the goddesses and the gods consort with humans. But to a Jew, this would just be abhorrent. But what he's telling them is God has used uh, extraordinary means, even in our own families, and brought about blessing. So just listen up, folks, and continue the story. I love that. I thought I got to make sure this gets brought out. And it's like, I know that in my head, but I don't think I had put it together mm-hmm. um, until reading your book. So I, I love that. Um, I love, okay. This is a twofold question, really. I would love for you to highlight, you know, we don't have time to highlight all of the women. Um, and it's never good to ask a parent if they have a favorite child. <laughs> but I, I wondered if you had a favorite one that you wrote on. And then I would love to, for sure, like highlight that one and and just kind of hear a little bit more about that particular woman. Um, and then if we have time, an- another one that you would like to go to so yeah how do you have do you have a favorite child <laughs> fair enough the, i had a book launch here i went in seattle and i went to arkansas and there was a wonderful young man in the room who happens to now be married to my granddaughter and he said miss kathleen did you have a favorite one and i was like oh my god but you know that's a fair question my apologies Kendall. i didn't really answer you at the time but i would have to say it's best to because I think I found out the most about her Um, and some of this it was the most adventurous in that I put forward a premise that you're not going to find anywhere but (laughs) the premise is that she changes you know all we know about her is that she was beautiful and she's Ryan's wife that's all we're told everything else that we know and we think we know about her is read into the, the script, hmm. including people who give her nefarious intent and decide that she is um, sexually seducing David. I mean, all this other stuff, other people add. You can't get a thing out of there. And if you don't, you really have to work with the script to say, okay, how can I answer the questions? And this is what I do. I go to, um, you know, there's two scenes. 
there is the scene where she's bathing on the roof and then Ruth and David summons her and a child is conceived and everything goes from there, including her husband being killed and da da da. And then there's the scene with Nathan and David's great um, conversion. And um, after that, David comes to Bathsheba, and I like the NIV translation. Um, it says he makes love to his wife and comforts her mm. if she conceives in the best army. And I contend that, um, you know, she has no, this, this is pretty obvious. I've made this point in the time. She has no choice to say no anyway. Right. Um, everybody. Um, it's a good choice to be comforted. Mm. To receive comfort. So somehow along the way, and I lay it down pretty heavily, all the loss that she has encountered, which is significant. Um, there's no reason to believe she even understood that her husband was complicit in her first husband's death until Nathan is there. Nathan changes everything. And somehow she manages a conversion that is every bit, I think, as impressive as David's uh, change of his contrition. And and goes on. And, and what's so valuable about that, if indeed she was victimized, which I would contend she was, right? Mm-hmm. Her, you know, all the things that happened to her. Um, there's a further victimization that can happen of, of having either like a victim mentality or um, having a um, falling into bad relationships or being, um, you know, having a self-image. But somehow she gets beyond that. And she is totally lost to us as an example of, of that which we, we really could use because she's erased. She is erased so totally, so covered up that even in Matthew's genealogy, poor Matthew, good she is, he can't say her name. She's just your wife's wife. Oh yeah, that's right. You won't find her name in that genealogy. Because David, oh my gosh, David, great King David, and this incredible fall that he had, it's really hard for Israel to remember him any other way. So it must be her fault. Mm. You know, and it's so clear in the scripture, it isn't, because it says right in here, it says, and what David did did not please the Lord. They blame it on David. It's clear, but doesn't matter. In memory and it's just, it's just such a raw deal. Can you tell from the way I'm talking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're talking, but you're speaking the truth, you know, and, and obviously we have time, we have time to study and to dig in and, but to, to your point, not everyone comes up with the same conclusions always. I mean, you're, you know, that's part of what you're saying about Beth, Bathsheba. That's so interesting. So one of the things that I love, and part of it is, I guess, I just love written prayers. I mean, thoughtful prayers. Um, I People that listen to the podcast know I release a poem or a prayer um, or a poem as prayer uh, on uh, Saturdays generally, um, and just a short podcast, obviously, because it's just reading 
a prayer or a poem, but I I've always loved good written prayers. I think years ago, someone gave me the book Valley of vision, um, these Puritan prayers that, um, just kind of grabbed me at the time. But since then I found so many and so many wonderful places, unexpected places. I didn't expect to, to find prayers, um, these beautiful written prayers at the end of each of your chapters on these women. And I would love, I think it's always nice when the author reads something from their book, I would love for you to read. Um, I'm, I'm opening cause I want to be able to look at it and follow along. But how about if you read the prayer at the end of Bathsheba, at the end of that particular chapter, unless you have another one that you would really like to, um, to read. Well, you know, why would you give people a little different, another sample? Because I, 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 I just was reading that this morning, the prayer of Rahab. Oh, and good. I need to give a little backstory and I'll pick right up, you know, the walls of Jericho, that's your home, and they come tumbling down around her. So um, uh, the, I'll start with the lines that lead into it and then the prayer. Uh, and I do, uh, I, I get into, is this still happening around us? Yes. You know, we're living a day when collateral damage, civil, civilian casualties, they're so commonplace, we don't even notice on the news sometimes. when Well, and, and can I even interrupt you and say, as I was going through your book and reading um, in the past few days, I think one of the things that I thought was, wow, you might've written this, what, uh, beginning of COVID or came out just, you know, two, three years ago, um, very recent. Um, it could have been written yesterday. I mean, just thinking about what's going on in the world to the point that you're just now making. Oh my goodness. The, the world is kind of crumbling around all of us right now, it feels like. I think that's one of the reasons a good, it's a good prayer for just to use today because the invitation not only to pray for us, but also for others. So, uh, I write, we can certainly say this prayer of Rahab for our own times of peril. We have all been at crossroads requiring decision without any obvious good option before us. But let us also pray for the Rahabs still among us. Women, children, and men whose homes are being destroyed, whose lives are at risk, who have become refugees, who have lost loved ones and a way of life, let us gather them in our hearts and minds, especially those in extreme danger in this moment. And that's good. Hasten, O oh God of Rahab, to make clear to me in my peril what is truly of you and what you would have me do. I am overwhelmed by the choices before me and know only that I cannot go back. I pray for your strong urge of intuition through me. By your spirit, may I know what, how, and whom I can trust. Give me the gift of right decision and the courage to act on that decision. May I live without regret, knowing that I place my trust in you. And by that, I am confident. Save, O oh God, not only my life, but the lives of those I love. Take us out to a safe place where we can rejoice that you have heard our prayers. Amen. Amen. May it be so. It just That just fits right in with the news headlines of today, um, sadly. Yeah, thank you for that.
-hmm. One of the things we have to talk about, and I, I forgot to say this at the beginning, but one of the things I meant to say as I was introducing you and your book, Why These Women, was that this is really um, a th under undercurrent, underlying theme of justice is running through this book. And, you know, you might not read that or might, you know, that those that word may not appear, though it may within the <laughs> within the bounds of this, but you ask um, a specific question at, at, during each chapter, really at, kind of at the end of each chapter, which I think is extremely important. And you you answer it as well. I mean, in print, you answer it. Um, I, I would love for us to talk about it. And I, and I would just want to ask you why, um, and maybe it was, maybe this question was born out of the idea of power, who has power and who is powerless. I don't know, but what, how, where did this question come in that you felt that, that this was the question, this was an important question to, to pose? Um, I do kind of tell the story. There's not a lot of time on it, but uh, I, I had a friend I just asked it flat out. I think we've all had a situation where there's someone we're really worried about. They're in a terrible, terrible situation. How are they ever going to get out of this? What's it going to, and it was, what's it going, what does it take? And God bless her, Diane, just said it like, like the, like a candle answer, but it wasn't. It was her own wisdom coming forth. And, and she answered, she said, well, read the question first, because I realized I actually didn't say it. I didn't. Okay. Yeah. So the two parts, what does it take for someone to break out of an oppressive situation? And she gave me a three-part answer. It is an act of great moral courage, precipitated by grace, and usually enabled by an other. And so that's what we began to look at for each of these women, was um, how they acted, um, and where was God's grace and what was the role of an other in their story? I loved that um, in each chapter, uh, you you had this chart there where you listed that you know the four women. Um, I've, the chart was built over time, you know, uh, but the name Tamar. Let's start with her and the origin: Canaanite oppression, dysfunctional family (parentheses abuse). Right, and I think the other thing too, as as you list the oppression for each of these women. Um, depending on who we are, we will identify likely with, with some, one of these oppressions and then um, other, the other, uh, and then the outcomes. And so I think, I just think it's so interesting that what it takes, I, I think it's so easy for us to throw that question around um, or rather, no, let me, let me flip that. I think it's so easy for us to point a finger in finger in accusation. True. True. Right. Let's maybe go there. Like, can't they get their life together? Why can't they just leave? Why can't, why can't, you know, I think it's so easy to armchair quarterback anyone else's life. <laughs> That's why I think it's so important to start with that first part. It is an act of great moral courage. Yes, yes, and, um, and that's that's on us. We need to name that for what that is. Whatever it takes for someone to scrape things together and do whatever they do, however you know who. But you know, and and 
probably on the opposite side of that is not necessarily an awareness that there's a lot of grace here because they're not feeling very grace. Um, but that becomes either evident or in hindsight, or it doesn't matter if it's named, that is God's grace, that all of a sudden, 47 times this has happened, but this time, for some reason, they make the call, you know, and, and, and the role of an other can be the actively involved, or it can be a remembrance, a remembrance that Someone once told me differently, you know, something like, yes, yes, for example, yeah. we, we talk about, I talked about that at one point, the rumor. Oh. How, yeah. Say that again. I said the rumor that it could be different. That's, that's some, all, all some slaves is all they had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that I think of, and obviously this is mentioned, it's an act of great moral courage precipitated by grace and usually enabled by another might I be that other? I mean, I think we've got to ask that question. Could I, or how could I be that other? Are my eyes open? Are they looking to um, people who are in oppressive situations and saying, God, how might I be that other? Um, how might I be a bit of grace? and be, you know, for someone else. I mean, I think that's, I just think that the, those are that question. And you, and I love, I mean, you, you don't weigh us down with uh, 10 different questions. No, there's one question and it's very important. And then well, that, yeah. that answer is big. I love that now that Ruth isn't here and there's such, it's a lovely, beautiful, wonderful story. Oh my Gosh, I'd love to make a little little novella. Anyway, where's the depression? Where's the? It's there, and 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 that's one where we realize all of a sudden we don't. It it, it just opens up all kinds of stuff. You kind of have to read about it. You read about my good friend Cynthia, who um, you realize, oh my gosh, all of the ways in which I fail to see what is right in front of me. I can't tell in the in probably in time of God, but but um, but Cynthia is my wisdom person. She she said it out there in the story because it's it was the, the the oppression was cultural bias. Cultural bias is kind of a small thing. It's a but it's a kissing cousin to you know racial uh, violence. And we the wonderful thing about Ruth is it's this good kind of story about good kind people <laughs> and that means it can hold the mirror up on us because we are good kind people well can be can be yes will we be and we still do it will we be yeah yeah i i love it i really really enjoyed why these women i personally feel like it certainly could be a really good advent study also could be a great lead-in just to Advent, you know, leading you right, ushering you into that season. Um, I'm just delighted to have you on the podcast, Kathleen. Um, Kathleen McInnes Kickline. <laughs> I think I got it right. <laughs> um, and I just commend this book to folks. I'll have all the information in the show notes of the podcast. Thank you so much for your time, your um, effort and energy and research that went into writing this and um, 
for for the wisdom that you bring to the table with this book as well. Thank you. I'm delighted to um, have been here and thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell people just go to sistersinscripture.com. That's the name of my ministry. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I usually ask that. Sistersinscripture.com. Awesome. And you can find out more and you can see other books too that Kathleen has written when you go there. And I'll, I'll link that website as well in the show notes. Thank you again. And as always to everyone else, I say, keep the conversation going.